0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy, And I'm
1: Dablena Chakraborty.
0: And Dablena and I are going to continue our annual tradition of recapping the year in historical and archaeological finds. Um, We've already covered a few in our most recent episode on this. Uh, I don't know, all sorts of things. Everything from Terracotta Warriors to a possible Lost Da Vinci artwork. But we're going to be continuing on with the list today. I don't know, though. You should probably issue the warning again that we've got to issue before every one of these episodes. Which one? Which one? It's not always stuff that was dug up this year. It's not always stuff that's dug up.
1: It's sometimes just news about things that were dug up a while ago, or it's things that were unearthed maybe from your attic or... From Although we don't have any of
0: those on this list. No, we don't have any of those.
1: <laughs> we we do have some some interesting entries, though. But we should say, again, that it's not a comprehensive list. There are many things that we could not include. Of course, every year is full of discoveries, and we just included a few that we found the most interesting.
0: And ones we think that you guys will like, too. We, we always sort of try to tailor a few of these to topics we know our listeners are particularly interested in. And I think the first entry on the list. Certainly fits that bill. It's about... Vampires, And we know that you guys like vampires a lot. Vampires in general are having a moment right now. They've been in the news a lot in 2012. Part of that is because of pop culture kind of stuff, but that's not our angle, of course. Um, They've also been in the news because several vampire burials have been discovered this year. Um, The first we're going to discuss was a June 2012 discovery of a vampire pirate a a double-header there (laughs) in Bulgaria.
1: Yeah, the 700-year-old skeleton found in Sozopol near the Black Sea in Bulgaria is believed to be that of the pirate Krivich, which means crooked. The remains had been staked down with metal rods, which was a traditional form of pinning a suspected vampire after death and burial. So thanks in part to the vampire pop culture rage, and you all know which one I'm talking about, <laughs> the find became a tourist attraction almost immediately with visitors flocking to the Sozopol churchyard until the remains were finally removed to the Natural History Museum in Sofia. Around the same time, two more stake skeletons were discovered from a similar time frame, about a hundred years earlier than the famous Vlad the Impaler, by the way. They're the latest additions to the roughly 100 vampire graves that have been found in the region.
0: So we have to ask, what is the deal with staked skeletons and and believing in vampires in the first place? According to the Natural History Museum director... Bozdar Dimitrov, uh, who was quoted in the LA Times, if a community suspected that a deceased person might be terrorizing them in death, he said, quote, a group of brave men would reopen the graves and pierce the corpses with iron or wooden rods. Iron rod was used for the richer vampires. Uh, So, just the the logical explanation of that. The pinning was supposed to prevent the vampires from actually exiting their graves, from from rising and and terrorizing people. But uh, what I found so fascinating about this story is that uh, not too long after, there was a great Smithsonian article, and this doesn't really count in our Unearthed in 2012. It's an article. But it did have a lot of people talking, a lot of people sharing it with us, too. Uh, It was by Abigail Tucker. It was in the October issue. And it was about the Great New England Vampire Panic, where the bodies of suspected vampires were similarly desecrated after death.
1: And Michael Bell, who studied the New England vampires for decades, has documented about 80 exhumations from the late 1700s to the 1800s, mostly in New England. And interestingly, these panics often happened during tuberculosis outbreaks. So one family member might get sick and die. Then as others sickened, the first to go was blamed as the vampire. Exhumation was the only way to stop the cycle, and there were various solutions for dealing with the corpse, flipping it upside down, binding the feet, even beheading it. In one Rhode Island case, the heart of a young woman who had died of tuberculosis and was suspected of being a vampire was burned, and the ashes of her heart were fed to her sick brother
0: pretty disturbing. We had to mention that rash of New England vampire cases, though, and the the panic, though, because I think what's most fascinating about this Bulgarian find is that it's just one of many international vampire graves, apparently. In fact, in November of this year, a skeleton that was originally found in England in 1959 was finally analyzed, and uh, researchers uncovered clear signs of another vampire burial. There were metal stakes through the heart and the ankles and the shoulders. So clearly this has been going on around the world for a very long time, um, but is really getting in the news a lot these days, I think partly because people are so fascinated by by vampires. So the next
1: item on our list isn't quite as stylish, I guess, as, as vampire news is maybe. It's it's more old news, but on March 15th, 44 BC, Julius Caesar was stabbed to death. This we know, right? Right. Obviously, that murder has been covered pretty well in literature. I would say so. As well as classical texts, which provide details not only on the date and the conspirators involved, but on the location as well, the Curia of Pompey.
0: Our 2012 discovery, though, does relate to that site. Archaeologists have finally found physical evidence to back up the assertion uh, that Caesar was in fact murdered at the Curia of Pompey, they discovered a ten foot wide and six and a half foot tall concrete structure at the Curia's base. And according to Discovery News, Antonio Monterosso of the Spanish National Research Council said of the find, quote, we always knew that Julius Caesar was killed in the Curia of Pompey on March 15th, 44 BC because the classical texts pass on so. But so far, no material evidence of this fact so often depicted in historical painting and cinema has been discovered. So this is a pretty big deal. I mean, it's backing up something that was already known, but it is backing it up. And, and interestingly too, the discovery also supports another point made by classical texts, and that's that after Caesar's murder, the Curia was closed and turned into a memorial for him, and it's suspected that this concrete, uh, structure that's been found is part of that memorial.
1: In 2012, actually saw a lot of Rome-related discoveries, like a horde of gold Crusades-era coins found in Israel. But we thought the recent analysis of an ancient Roman curse was worth including here also. So three years ago, a 3rd or 4th century tablet scroll was found in East Farley, England, in the remains of a building from the same era. And researchers at first tried to decipher its contents without unrolling the fragile artifact, using neutron-computed tomography imaging according to Discovering News. And when that didn't work, they carefully unrolled it to view the writing with an electron microscope. From there, it was passed on to Roger Toman, a late Roman history expert, who deciphered the contents as a list of personal names, some in Latin, others Celtic. Some of the names were written upside down or backwards, indicating that the scroll was a curse meant to bring misfortune on those listed.
0: And it still is unclear what this curse's purpose was. Um, There's actually some, some of the lettering is yet to be to be read, to be deciphered. Um, But most curse tablets found in Great Britain, and there have been kind of a lot, about 200, include specific instructions or hopes for gods to rain down destruction on enemies, um, often as a reaction to a theft. So it's believed that this is a list of names of people who might have wanted to watch their back in the 3rd or 4th century. Uh, one example, not from from this particular scroll, but one from Bath, for instance, where about half of the tablets have been found, incidentally, praise that the victim will become, quote, as liquid as water. So very colorful sort of curses, too, appropriately. Um, they wouldn't just be left out and about, though. One reason why they were scrolls was to protect the writing, so it wouldn't just be available for anybody to read. Um, and then Then they would either be tucked somewhere in the ground, you know, by a well or a grave, um, springs maybe, that's why perhaps there have been so many found in Bath, Um, or nailed to a temple wall. And and the recent find fits into that later category since it was found at the ruins of of what was believed to be a temple.
1: The next entry on our list has to do with the Maya, for whom it has been a fairly big year. Bigger than vampires,
0: maybe, I'd say, (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the whole apocalypse thing, which, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I guess didn't happen.
0: (laughs) guess we're good. Thankfully.
1: But thanks to the Doomsday Calendar predictions, there's been a huge upswell in all things my history and culture. And there was also this major archaeological find, for instance, something that draws a bit of attention away from that calendar obsession and highlights the cultural and artistic abilities of the Maya.
0: Yeah, it certainly points out there's there's more to the Maya than the calendar, so if you're going to indulge that research interest, you might as well go even further with it. But it is, of course, the Temple of the Night Sun, one of the biggest archaeological discoveries of 2012, I'd say. Um, it was a one brilliant red structure covered in these incredibly detailed stucco masks that was just recently uncovered from the Guatemalan jungle where it had sort of been swallowed up by by greenery over the years. Stephen Houston who is a Brown University archaeologist announced the find in July and hopes that it's going to shed some more light on the Elzutz dynasty and the Maya civilization and structure as a whole. According
1: to National Geographic News, the Maya weren't strongly centralized like the Inca or the Aztecs. Instead, they were a collection of loosely aligned city-states and El while one of the smaller kingdoms, was clearly angling for a strong impression here. So Houston uncovered the site in 2010, following decades-old looters' tunnels, and at the same time, the Diablo Pyramid was explored, a, a structure topped by a tomb and a royal palace. The temple lies behind the pyramid and had been interred by the Maya, something that allowed for its remarkable preservation.
0: Yeah, and and we, we kind of hinted at the stucco masks and all of that, uh, and, and that's really the main thing, I mean, in, in addition to being this blood-red color originally, which would have meant that it just glowed in the rising sun and the in the setting sun but the masks represent A whole new angle for for Maya religious studies, too, and open a lot of possibilities there. Houston believes that they represent the faces of the Maya sun god, whose face would, according to their beliefs, change as he crossed the sky. So it would start as a shark face in the morning um, because the sun was rising over the Caribbean. In the middle of the day, probably when it was like really hot and intense in the uh, area that's now Guatemala, it would turn to this blood-drinking, mad creature. And then later in the day at dusk, it would turn to a jaguar's face, because that was, of course, when the jaguars were just waking up and coming out to to hunt after sleeping all day. Um, But these stucco representations of the sun god depict all these different figures of of its phases that would go through during the day. It's also
1: believed that the tomb atop the Diablo Pyramid was that of the first Elzatz king, who lived sometime between 350 and 400 AD. So there's still a lot to learn from this find, though. It was abandoned in the 5th century quite suddenly, but it's fairly unique among Maya ruins for its completeness. Usually they'd tear down a structure and build on top of it. Also, only 30% of the facade has been uncovered so far. So uh, a lot to come here, probably. It, yeah,
0: it reminds me a little bit of, of the last episode we did on the Terracotta Warriors and, and how much there is still to learn there as well. According to David Friedel, though, who's a Maya archaeologist, he said, quote, the site will certainly advance our knowledge of early classic Maya religion and ritual practice. So um, a lot to be learned. And... Um, pretty pretty neat I certainly this is one I urge everybody to go check out pictures of it too it's worth worth taking a look at but there has been another pretty cool Maya discovery in 2012 and it's one that had me thinking back to our episode on historical alcohol because as we learned in that episode a lot of discoveries can made be made from the gunk and residue that's found at the bottom of old cups old bowls, various ancient vessels.
1: This year, Dmitry Zagarevsky of Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and Jennifer Miller Newman, a doctoral candidate at the University of Albany, analyzed the residue found in a 1,300-year-old vessel from the Mirador Basin in what's today southern Mexico. And the vessel read the home of his or her tobacco, and sure enough, that's what they found inside, traces of nicotine. And they found this using gas chromatography and mass spectrometry and liquid liquid chromatography mass spectrometry. This find is particularly notable for two reasons. One, it's the first physical evidence of the Mayans using tobacco. And two, the technological methods used promise even better analysis of such vessels in the future.
0: And this is why it reminded me of the historical alcohol episode so much. Cause if you remember from that show, there's a whole host of problems when you're trying to determine what cups and other vessels actually contain. And not just because the contents are, are long dried up and gone. Um, many vessels were, of course, multi-purpose and contained the residues of all sorts of of uh, items that they once contained. According to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, vessels can also be contaminated by bacteria. They can be damaged by water. You know, water can just wash everything away uh, when they're no longer in use, or they can be contaminated after discovery. And and sometimes they're even clean too. And I remember again from that alcohol episode, the archaeologists were horrified. By this, when <laughs> this could happen, but it, it, if you scrub out that gunk, it's washing away all the all the history of what this could have been used for. Um, this piece, though, the one that was analyzed, is actually uh, an older find. It's been a long-term resident of the Library of Congress's collection, but fortunately hadn't had all its contents removed. The label on the vessel, too, you mentioned that it's uh, the home of his or her tobacco. That's fairly unique as well. And the only other case of uh, researchers finding a labeled vessel like this actually containing what it was supposed to contain came 20 years ago with a cup of cacao. So I guess it would be Tricky to cook in a Maya kitchen if everything <laughs> is labeled differently. One of the
1: things that's really fascinating about the story, though, is the information about how the Mayans used tobacco. According to Lo Miller Newman and Discovery News, they ruled out the possibility that the vessel was an ashtray since there were no chemical calling cards present for nicotine byproducts. But it wasn't likely that the Maya would have been smoking the tobacco in the first place. It was in powdered form, likely mixed with lime and mixed in a drink, chewed, or maybe used as snuff. It was strong enough to possibly be hallucinogenic and serve the handy double purpose of repelling serpents.
0: So there you go. <laughs> I think that seems like a fitting way to conclude our our episode with this hallucinogenic... Uh, Maya residue and serpent repellent yeah
1: something to muse upon I guess if you're getting your New Year celebration <laughs> ready I don't know what do you think Sarah will, will your celebration be that exciting
0: I don't think it's going to be that exciting but it's also a, a maybe a better image to have than the staked vampires and the Roman curses too I don't want to send people off into the New Year thinking of those sort of things so yeah the cacao maybe you know think about stuff like that
1: I think the interesting thing about all these discoveries, though, is just how they show how, I mean, and we've pointed this out before, how history is this living, breathing thing. It's always changing. Constantly
0: changing. And um, the discovery of the temple especially reminded me of that because we're always talking about these lost sites. That are discovered usually in the 19th century or the 20th century. Um, and it's hard to imagine, you know, people not realizing that King Tut's tomb was there or, mm-hmm. um, or all, all sorts of, of these sites that we've discussed that just seem like major international attractions now, UNESCO heritage sites. But it's cool to think that there are plenty of places like that still out there, that there can still be this beautiful, stunning temple that's just hidden in the overgrowth in the Guatemalan jungle. Waiting
1: for somebody to stumble upon it.
0: Pretty cool. Unfortunately, there are many dedicated researchers and archaeologists and historians out there who are working on all of this all the time. So we have lots of stuff to talk about. Yeah,
1: fun. It's a lot of fun for us to do this every year. And if you have any more news items from 2012 or any other time that we missed that you'd like for us to cover further, uh, maybe do an update to a previous topic that we've done before, you can write to us. We are at HistoryPodcast at Discovery.com or you can find us on Facebook or or on
0: Twitter at Missing History. And we love receiving these kind of stories from you guys throughout the year. This is always the kind of thing that I like to repost on Facebook and retweet. And uh, we count on y'all to recommend these stories to us because as you mentioned, it's there's so much happening. It's impossible to keep up with it all. So thank you guys. Happy New Year. Have a great time celebrating and we'll see you in 2013.